Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or of course you can grab us Friday evenings on good old broadcast radio with RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes, you welcome to show number 912. Joining me as always is our Editor-in-Chief Niall Kitson for a quick look of the news of the week before we get into our big interview of the week uh, and I suppose top of the list. I have to stress this because the podcast is released on the 1st of April which of course is April Fool's Day and I hope everybody's uh, much mirth and merriment has been part of everybody's day. This first story is not an April Fool. It's reality. Go. But if somebody were to present it to you... Yeah, you would think. (laughs) You'd think, ah, here. It sounds Um, like an April Fool's. Yeah, I'm calling this Peak Dyson. We are we are now reaching the level of inventions for invention's sake, and it doesn't even look that good. Um, basically, Dyson have created a set of headphones with a clip-on visor to circulate what it is calling a cloud of clean air around your mouth and nose. That sounds like the kind of thing in a post-pandemic world would be quite popular quality of the uh, air and clean and is there any kind of an HVAC filter in there and like that? Yeah, or? pretty much. Yeah, the way it works is that uh, air from outside is sucked in via the cups on your headphones. Okay. It is uh, filtered as it makes its way down to the visor okay. and then released uh, over the mouth and nose to create sort of a pocket of clean air. That's the that's the plan with it. Uh, and of course, it, it connects to your music player of choice by, by Bluetooth, which is the most important thing uh, about this invention. It's Bluetooth. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you, you've got a big pair of headphones, like just a proper mm. big pair of headphones, all right? Yeah. And then you've got... All I can describe it is, you know, we're all familiar with the gaming headphones, little microphones sticking out in front of them, mm-hmm. all right? Yeah. Or the, which telephonists would use. A, an extreme version of that, which covers your nose and your mouth. I'm actually doing yeah. it. Yeah, or, or something like you'd see on an, uh, an American football helmet or something like that. Yes, you know? yes. What a, what a great mm. description of it. And, and yeah. this thing that is sitting and hiding your, your, your face and your mouth and your nose that is blowing clean air into you. Mm. Now, here's the problem for me, uh, and and it's something that that hasn't been answered because one thing in the press release it certainly did not stress that it was a therapeutic device. It was just sort of here's something and you can breathe clean air. They're they're very much pitching it as you know environments that are heavily polluted. So say you live in a city with a, a big smog problem, so something like that. Mm. Um, there is nothing about you know what if somebody sneezes on you or something like that. You know. Um, problems that we are more likely to face uh, in these COVID times or somebody might cough on you or sneeze on you or something like that and you might end up picking up COVID that way. No, this is very much an environment problem that they're, inverted commas, that they're looking to address. Um, Personally, I think this is an example of us getting very used to wearing masks and somebody going, hang on, there's a trend here. I would like to know how, how they are able to put two whirring fans upon your ears 
and play music at the same time. I think that's a technical feat in itself. Uh, Also making use... Well, these are noise-cancelling headphones. So, uh, oh, do you want to know what the the price for these bad boys will be? Go on. Uh, Somewhere between, and we're talking pounds here, sterling, because uh, your man Dyson is a... uh, He was a Brexiteer. um, Between 500 and 1,000 pounds. Sold. Not. Rehab. (laughs) Yeah, just continuing on from a story that broke a couple of weeks ago uh, about rehab, the National Rehabilitation Charity um, had their uh, were hacked um, for profit, uh, it it appears. Um, Of course, there were uh, concerns that this was done by a state actor. um, But uh, as of Wednesday, it was being referred to as a plain vanilla ransomware attack by uh, Minister of State for Communications, ah. Ossian Smith. So it, basically, somebody got in, locked your data, uh, well, not our data, but locked a, a tranche of data, said, give us the money or we're going to leak it online. Uh, we don't know, uh, as of as of speaking today, what exactly what kind of data we're talking about, um, but I, I imagine the usual line of we don't negotiate with terrorists was, was, right. uh, was used. So, so. The, the message that's been given out is, Look, we've been hacked, all right? But don't panic. Mm. It's not the Russians. It's just some kid in a bedroom looking for money. Uh, yes. Okay, grand, lovely stuff. Which leads me into Russians are harvesting data. Well, there's two stories that that, that leads to, but yeah, r- Russian, well, okay. There, there's Russians and there's Russia, okay? So Russia, the state actor, and then Russians, individual people that, that are doing this. So uh, if you are using an app that has been developed, uh, either an iOS or an Android app, that has been developed using uh, Yandex's um, app development platform. Now, Yandex is sort of Russian Google. You know, they, they basically have that sort of that, that entire swathe okay. of uh, applications and software uh, working away for you if you want. Um they have an app development platform. Uh, again, lots of apps developed in Russia, not necessarily bad things at all. However, we are in finding out, uh, because app developers need constant feedback as to, to whether things are working or not. Uh, however, some of the metadata that goes back to Yandex uh, in Russia from wherever we happen to be, uh, our device, uh, our IP address, and the nature of the network that we're on. All of this information is flooding back to China. Uh, sorry, China. Russia being stored on servers in Russia and therefore are subject to investigation by the Kremlin. So are they going to get that much information though? I mean, just from your, your IP address and probably not. Such stuff. Well, I think it's, it's as much the, um, the uh, lack of transparency by Yandex um, it took the, a researcher by the name of Zach Edwards, who was working with uh, me to be Alliance, which mm. is a, a non-profit, uh, and their sort of mission statement is the respectful treatment of people by technology. Okay. So, sort of a, a big tech kind of watchdog sort of a, a thing. Um, so it's it's not so much a, this is happening wholesale, but a, this could happen. And if you happen to become a person of interest, well, guess who might know where you happen to be at any given time? Oh, no. If you're a person of interest, the Russian authorities have got their own version of Google <laughs> who knows everything about yeah. you. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, kind of. I mean, we don't we don't use Yandex, but I don't know. Do you think uh, we should I, be worried? One of those Yakov Smirnov jokes from the from the early eighties or something like that, you know. <laughs> it's like in Russia, you don't watch television; television watches you, kind of a thing. 
<laughs> I don't remember that one. Uh, also on the hacking front, front uh, we've got another story breaking as well uh, with somebody tearing through Samsung and NVIDIA and LG and all kinds of places. Yeah, now the, this is sort of the the other story that I alluded to mm. their hacker uh, collective called Lapsus. Uh, and they have been through an awful lot of companies uh, over the last few months. Uh, they've been through NVIDIA, Okta, which is an identity management company, Samsung, LG, a whole bunch of Brazilian government agencies. Uh, I could I could go on. Um, and these are fairly straightforward ransomware attacks um, done strictly for profit. Mm. Uh, but at the time these were starting to surface, there was, of course, great concern as to whether this was um, state-sponsored. Uh, but no, uh, apparently, just like with um, like with rehab, this is very much a case of somebody got into a network and the company is being extorted for profit, uh, and that's it. However, what's interesting about Lapsus is that for as successful it has been in inf- infiltrating corporate networks and and you know getting an awful lot, awful, awful, mm. awful lot of crypto for their uh, for their troubles. They're not very good at keeping themselves a secret. Uh, They have a Telegram channel uh, in which they let people nominate which companies they should hit next. Um, They approach, they they ask people working in specific companies for their login credentials. They Uh just pay them. You know, they're, 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 they use what, what are generally referred to as social engineering tactics. It's basically, you, you go to the person instead of the system. You All know, right, okay. Somebody might go, oh, I worked there six months ago. I bet you they haven't changed a password. Um, I'll sell you the credentials for X. That's an example of social, social engineering, right? So they're basically kind of a, a, a hacking version of the Jerry Maguire movie. Show me the money! Show me the money. And, you know, they, they're not state-sponsored. And there is a, a couple of arrests uh, already. Um, the speculation is that this is a collective based in their, the UK, Brazil or Portugal. Probably the UK and Brazil because there's a lot of uh, banter happens in Portuguese, apparently. Okay. Uh, hence, uh, which would also explain the Brazilian government agencies being being uh, targeted. But so far, uh, six young men between the ages of 16 and their early 20s have been arrested uh, and released as investigations are ongoing. 16. Oh, well. 16. This, yeah. the, good, the good thing about being 16 is that you know everything, so it's good. Um, this <laughs> final thing is we have a new website that we would like to recommend that you get into your bookmarks or to, to, to keep on your home screen or whichever it happens to be. It's, a, it's rescue.ie. This is an amazing idea. Tell us about it. Yep, very simple idea. Uh, there's an awful lot of portable defibrillators out and about the country. Uh, if something happens, you might be somewhere you know, alien to you that you don't know. Um, a paramedic by the name of Will Fahey has put together this web app using a platform called Retool. And it's basically sort of a map you put in where you are and it'll tell you where your nearest defibrillator is. And of course, these are automatic defibrillators. So these aren't mm. things that require any sort of specialist skill to operate or anything like that. You know, it's just two pads that, that uh, are, are stuck to the body and the machine does, does the rest. Yep. So, you know, a great resource to have. Um, if you do, if you don't happen to know where your nearest piece of life-saving equipment is, this is the app that will tell you. Rescue.ie. Just, just keep it in your head. Mm. You just never know. Like, you know, you could be walking. We, we were out for a walk uh, a couple of months back, just along the, the Royal Canal. 
Next thing around the corner comes a, a joyriding car, went out of control and vam into a, a couple of pedestrians who were just walking along the path like a couple of metres ahead of us. Scared the hell out of us. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, bless the people, the fire brigade and ambulances and everything were there. Like, you know, and I'm wondering if in that situation, would I have thought rescue.ie? But now that I know about it, maybe I would have. Actually, yeah. do you know what you know? Do you know and, and here's the thing, right? And here's where it works, okay? That's the mission for today. Before you go to bed, all right? Just look it up on your phone, rescue.ie. Just the sheer fact that you've been and you've looked at the website and you've seen it and you know how it works. Come the, the moment that you need to remember rescue.ie because the brain is amazing. It'll throw mm. that out at you. At, at you. Yeah. Won't even take you five minutes. There you go. Niall, thank you as always for keeping us up to date with what's been happening in the news during the week. Remember, you can get the lowdown with hourly updates and daily newsletters more at our website at techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. We've all come across some element of assistive technology in our lives, from simple phones with bigger buttons to websites designed to be more readable. Kieran O'Mahony is Chief Technology Officer with the National Council for the Blind of Ireland, and he talked with Niall Kitson about how the charity's approach extends far beyond getting the right gadgets into people's hands. Karen, NCBI is quite interesting in that it has a CTO role, which is quite unusual for a charity. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how that came to be and how it impacts people on the ground? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, so, I mean, NCBI in, in the charity sector in Ireland is probably a, a little bit unique in that they they appointed a chief technology officer to uh, really recognize the importance of technology as a key enabler for someone with sight loss. And since I've joined, I joined NCBI in about May 2019. Um, one of the things that I've embedded throughout the organization is this mantra that technology is the single most important enabler for people with sight loss. I also suffer from, from sight loss myself. And throughout my career, which is not in the charity sector up until until 2019, I used technology to overcome, you know, every obstacle that was put in front of me, whether that was through education or if it was, you know, something as simple as how I would get a bus from A to B or, you know, how I would, um, how I would interview or how I would prepare for employment and then engage in employment. So I've worked extremely hard in, in the NCBI to bring that to the forefront, you know. So what we really wanted to do is change how technology is viewed, both internally and externally inside the organization. So we went through lots of things that a typical organization would do, you know, go through your digital transformations and make sure that everyone is using the right type of technology to make sure they can provide the best service. But beyond that, what's really important is, you know, we needed to really double down on the service offering that we provide to people in Ireland with sight loss. So, um, you know, training people to use a computer, training people to use an iPhone or uh, an Android device. Um, but what, what's becoming more and more apparent is that it's not only that, you know, you come to NCBI and maybe you might need something that would, you know, allow you to magnify something. But a lot of the technology that you need to live independently is available through um, 
the device that everyone has in their pocket now. So whether it's a, an iPhone or an Android phone or a Mac or a PC, so much of what you need to live your life independently is available through mainstream technology. So we've seen a real shift um, away from uh, coming to the NCBI and, and, and needing a, a very, very specialized piece of technology to provide that support or provide that independence right the way through to now where a lot of what we do is teach people how to use the devices that everyone has in their pockets. Like, I don't know if you, if you have an iPhone or an Android phone, depending on where you lean. <laughs> but um, for me, the number one, as someone with sight loss, the number one tool that I have that enables me to live my life independently as someone with sight loss is my iPhone. And I literally use it to get to work in the morning. I use the magnification on it. Right the way through, at the end of the night, I read my, my little girl. She's four years old. I, I read her, her bedtime story using the magnifier on my iPhone. And there's, that's been such an interesting shift in, 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 in the technology that's available. So what we do in, in the National Council for the Blind is make sure that one, all of our team are equipped with the right knowledge to, to provide that support, but also make sure that we can we can give that training and that support to as many people in Ireland as possible with sight loss. And what's really important to say is that, you know, sight loss is not just for people who are who are completely blind. There's there's a complete spectrum out there. So whether, you know, you might struggle to, to read the newspaper slightly or you find that your vision is getting slightly blurry or maybe it's something more severe, NCBI is able to to offer tools to the broader population of, of Ireland and abroad and how to how to overcome those obstacles for people with reduced vision. Feels very much like you've developed a, a kind of a, a community response or a, a community resource to mm. uh, to managing sight loss, and this kind of uh, extends to some of the um, facilities you have, like virtual clubs. So, tell us a little bit about that sort of ongoing point of contact. Yeah, and it, the, the virtual technology clubs are a great example of a service that evolved, or, ha- or needed to evolve, I should say, uh, through the COVID nineteen crisis. Um, you know, throughout that crisis with people isolating from home and, uh, you know, particularly for those who are, who are visually impaired, we knew that we needed to find a way to virtually support people and virtually or give people that a service offering um, that they could do from home. So the technology clubs really evolved through that. And now that the pandemic or the crisis is, is momentarily passed, they've become even more popular, you know, outside of that. So what we do is we run uh, virtual technology clubs throughout Ireland. Now, they are, there are upwards of 10 running throughout the country and they tend to be geographically aligned. Like there's a Dublin one, there's one for, let's say, Cork. But we also have people, there's no restriction on who can attend them. And the best thing about them is that, as I mentioned at the start, is it's all about, you know, um, enabling people and teaching people all the best ways to use use technology and everyone with sight loss may use technology slightly differently you know uh, to allow them to overcome their particular issue so the virtual technology clubs are great you know fun atmosphere for people to have a conversation about the tools that are available to them how they use them in their daily lives and also have a bit of fun as well you know what i mean it's not all about a, a pure you know structured teaching environment sometimes you know People can have a chat over coffee around how do you use your Alexa device or, you know, what is the the new iOS accessibility feature that was released that is important to you? And it's such a wonderfully supportive environment, you know, um, for people. So and what we do as well is we have each each of the virtual technology clubs. There's one trainer from my team that sits in on it. But most of the time they don't say very much because 
you know, everyone wants to support each other. And that's the great thing about the, the, the community in Ireland is that there's, they're, they're hugely supportive around, you know, trying to help each other and trying to convey that information that's out there. And really NCBI is only providing the mechanism to do that. In looking at some of the software and facilities that are out there, you you, you talked about your own iPhone earlier and how mm. the software that, that is in there already per, performs a, a function for you. To what extent are you finding accessibility features are coming preloaded in operating systems and it's just a matter of people learning where to dig them out from, but these features are actually there and ready for use? I think at the moment, the, the standard or the, the inbuilt um Accessibility features on, on on Microsoft and Apple devices are, are really advanced compared to, compared to where they used to be. You know, when I when I would have grown up or or even in my first few jobs, if if you needed a specific piece of accessible software like um, a screen reader, for example, would a lot of people who have very limited vision would use that, and it reads the screen back to them. You know, for, the, for those people that can't can't see the screen, you would need to go out and buy very expensive software on top of that to to use. But now. You know, particularly on, on on Apple devices, the voiceover software is 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 inbuilt, and you know comes as part of the operating system. And I heard a wonderful story um, just recently at Christmas. Uh, uh, a friend of mine who has no vision was um, he was at Christmas dinner, and and uh, members of family said, "Oh, I'm struggling to use something with my with my iPhone." And he handed it to his 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 cousin who has no sight whatsoever, and he used Siri to turn on uh, voiceover fixed the issue, turned off voiceover using Siri and handed the phone back to him. You know, so th- that's, the, that's the power that we've gotten to now. So a big part now is, is us, you know, teaching people how to use the software that's available to them, you know. And that's why where, where I think NCBI has shifted their service delivery is to say, you know, um, do you have an iPhone already? Come to us and we'll, we'll, we'll go through your particular setup for accessibility. You know, how we can, what are the key challenges that you have and we'll, we'll teach you how to overcome them. It's a fascinating example you had there of people using uh, human computer interfaces just completely differently. Um, Mm. What other advances in this area have stood out to you? I I think for me, probably um, on a personal level and both from feedback from, from people that I interact with, voice technology is probably the biggest enabler that we've seen in a long time. And I, and I mean, across all, all platforms, like, you know, you have um, um, Siri on, 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 on Apple devices, and then you have Alexas and, and Google Homes and things like that. And they, they're so, they're, what, what I would say is they, they're a real, they remove the barriers to entry is probably the, the nice way to put it. But if you think about it, you can pick up an, an Amazon Alexa device for I don't know, 40 or 50 pounds or 40, 50 euros, um, whatever the case may be, you know, depending on the device. But that, if you're someone that can't, let's say, read the newspaper, you can say, hey, you know, read me the newspaper or listen to listen to your favorite radio station. And they seem like such simple things to overcome unless you can't do them. You know what I mean? And that barrier to entry is really removed through voice technology. And in about a month's time, NCBI will be releasing our, our own voice app on, on, on Alexa and Google as well. So I'd love to talk to you about that again sometime, which is, which is allowing people to contact NCBI directly purely using their voice, which is, a, which is a really important thing. You know, so I think, you know, voice technology is an absolutely huge piece of it. And as I mentioned, mentioned earlier, um, you know, the, 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 the core accessibility features that are built into most mainstream platforms now are, are really so advanced that you don't need to buy very expensive equipment to, to support you.
So I suppose following on then from sort of the, the HCI element and, and the software element, there's also the element of web design as well and how websites are having to make themselves more accessible. Uh, when looking at sort of the best practices that are out there at the moment, do mm. you think they're sufficient or do you think there's plenty of work to be done even with simple things like button size and colour? So the... the the standards that are out there, which are the, the WCAG standards, which are the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, are, are very, very robust and they're, they're, um, um, they're embedded by the W3 consortium, which is you know familiar to most, most developers or front-end developers would probably notice that. The, the trouble that we have is that, like I was t- saying earlier, is that we, we can teach people how to use a computer, we can teach people you know, how to use the, the inbuilt software. But if you come to a website and it's not built to adhere to those standards, you know what I mean? The, it, no voiceover yeah, reader will work or, you know, like you were saying, if the button is, is labeled incorrectly. So uh, it's, it's like the analogy where uh, a colleague of mine has a great one is that people are familiar to see people outside with white canes and we would teach people how to do mobility through white canes and how to navigate outside. But every Tuesday, people put their bins out and they block people with white canes. It's very, mm. it's very similar in the technical and technology in that we can teach people how to comp- use a computer, but if uh, a website doesn't adhere to those standards, you know, you can't um, you can't actually use it. So, recently, and I'm not sure if your your listeners are aware, but there's actually EU now legislation that says that all um, government and public sector uh, bodies, so bodies that are funded by the Irish government, and this is EU EU wide legislation as well, so it's not not just in Ireland, um, must adhere to um, to those standards. And NCBI has done a huge amount of research in this space, and what we found is, you know, very very few of the government sector uh, websites actually adhere to it. So what we're trying to do now at the moment is reach out to as many um, uh, many government bodies as possible and say, hey, you know, your, your, your websites aren't reaching that standard, but we're here to support you and, 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 and help you to reach that and, you know, teach you how to make your website accessible or make your mobile application accessible. And we worked really closely with the, the HSC on the COVID Ireland um, tracker app which is which is the most popular app ever released in this country and and we worked with them to make that accessible to those standards which was wonderful to hear when when it when it was released because we would get feedback straight away from from our own you know service user computer uh, community or those with sight loss that will say i was expecting this not to work or i was expecting not to be able to use this but this is an app that i can actually use so um i would say to to any organizations that are out there please reach out to us like we're, we're here to help and, and and offer support and guidance on how to reach those standards you know and we've countless examples of of, of companies and and public but public and private who we've worked with to, to support them on their their journey to to be accessible because it's not it's not a difficult thing to do but it's a, it's a hugely important thing to do so we're here to, to educate them and them and the way i view it as as chief technology officer in the national accounts for the blind is you know the more websites that we enable to be accessible, the broader the reach of our organization is. So if I give you the example, the, the COVID Ireland tracker application is downloaded by over 1.3 million people. And a worldwide recognized statistic was that in around 25 to 30% of people will need some level of assistive t- support, whether it's, you know, uh, a sight loss issue or whether it's a motory issue or whatever the case may be. The standards that, sh- that I referred to earlier are across all, you know, pan disabilities. 
So that impact of that work alone probably supported upwards of 300,000 people in Ireland. And that's really the impact of, of, of digital inclusion and digital accessibility. You know, so for any company that's that's listening to us now, I would I would challenge you to say, do you know if your website is accessible? If you're going to exclude, you know, 25, 30% of your, of your audience, like, People who are blind and visually impaired have a credit card as well, you know, particularly from even something basic like an e-commerce solution. You know, very few, I don't want to name names on, on, on the program, but I, I know specifically none of the e-com shops and the biggest retailers in Ireland are accessible, you know, which is which is terrible, you know, uh, but we're here to help. You know, we're not saying, listen, we're not saying this is, we're not going to point a finger, but we're here to help you in the NCBI to make sure that we can, we can enable that support, you know. Uh, and enable people to engage and be inclusive with it in a digital world. You know, so do, do reach out to the NCBI. And that was Kieran O'Mahony, the Chief Technology Officer with NCBI. If you want to find out more about their work, uh, you can get, grab their website at ncbi.ie. That's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or of course you can listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time from myself Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson as always thanks for listening have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.